Shalom, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. We believe the Torah is relevant for our lives today, God's teachings and instructions. You may very well be part of the first generation to be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and have the Torah, a Christian with Torah. Join us as we honor the living God through the study of His Word, topical conversations, and interviews with special guests. Please welcome our hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast. I'm your co-host, Ryan Cabrera, and I'm here in the beautiful Studio B with Pastor Nick Plummer. Hey, Pastor, great to be here. Yeah, so we are here every week, week in and week out. We try to record every Tuesday. Occasionally, things get kind of bumped around, That's depending true. on schedules and things like that. However, for four and a half years now, going on, this is our fifth season. That's right. We've been pretty consistent week in and it's week been out. Great. And so, thank you guys who've uh, supported us and been listening and on watching all those things. Uh, we really appreciate that. This has been going really well, at least in my estimation. And so uh, today, normally we would be studying the book of Matthew like we would, right? And we have four right. years of Torah portions from the Torah cycle. So I encourage people that are getting into the Torah, please go listen to those podcasts. They're good podcasts. You can listen about Genesis. You can listen about Exodus, and right now Leviticus. We're in the opening. Leviticus. Yeah, Vayikra this week. Opening to our portion of Leviticus. Well, actually, this week we would be recording the second one in Leviticus, which is... That's right. I don't remember what the name of it is. Vayikra, though. Well, Vayikra's the Friday first night, one, yeah. yeah. That's true. That's awesome. So then, uh, but today, because this week is Purim, and we did our study this week here at Beit Tehillah Congregation on Purim, we are doing our podcast on Purim. Now, some things about Purim uh, that are interesting. It's not exactly how you may have seen it in the movies. Now, I've seen several different renditions in the movies, Yeah, whether it's uh, One Night with the they King. they got a lot of liberty with the script. The Book of the Esther, plot, yeah. things like that. Um, I found some nuggets in here, and we might go through some of those things as we go through. Let's but, do it. But we're going to do The Story of Purim. All right. The Story of Purim can be found in the Book of Esther. The author is unknown. The Story of Esther is rooted in the historical situation of King Xerxes or Ahasuerus, who ruled as king of Persia from 486 to 465 B.C. Mm. The book of Esther is the only book in the Bible that never mentions God, but we can see his divine providence throughout. So meaning the name of God, right. the yod heh vav is not in there. No. So um, I found this out recently because of my Esther studying this year. Um, there's extra chapters to Esther that are in the apocryphal. They're apocryphal. Uh, apocryphal meaning uh, they're not scripture right um the word apocryphal just means it's not validated right? right you can't verify this is in fact an actual right. part of this this book and so what they do is they just stick it in a separate section like i think catholic bibles have it in there and you can buy a separate apocryphal but there's basically those extra chapters of esther are all prayers and god's name is mentioned all over it <laughs> so it's interesting that that's uh, it defeats the whole purpose of what i said <laughs> <laughs> that does not. Yeah, I mean, we don't know if it was part of it or not. It could be a later edition. Well, that's like they found a Psalm 151, Dead Sea Scrolls. Oh, that's too much. That's just yeah, wild. It's one more than 150. I know. Yeah. It's pretty cool, though. It is. So let's check out the King's Feast in Esther chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. I want to go ahead and read that. Uh, Brian, you could read that. Yeah, 1 through 4. Uh, yeah, th- this kind of lays the uh, foundation for the storyline here of what the king's going to be doing and what's going down. That's right. All right. So now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus. This was the Ahasuerus who reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia. In those days when King Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the citadel, 
that in the third year of his reign he made a feast for all his officials and servants, the powers of, Ru- of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of the provinces being before him, when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days, 180 days in all. So he's throwing a big party. And he's invited all the officials. So, so the people that would be here, he's invited... He's got 127 provinces, so he's invited the officials from 127 provinces from Ethiopia to India to come before him to see the king for themselves and to see the That's palace. It. The city, They called it a citadel, which is like a fortified, like a fortress, a palace. That's a lot of provinces. It is. So who is the king in the story? It is Ahasuerus, and historically, you, we may hear this guy's name Xerxes. So That's why you'll hear the name Xerxes um, you know, in, in other other places. and. Um, there's some speculation about titles and things that maybe these are titles and things like that. And where was his palace located? Um, it's called Shushan, but it Shushan. is also known as Susa. So Susan, Shushan, Susa, all the yeah, same place. sushi. <laughs> maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. The story takes place in the modern-day country of Iran. Wow, the story takes place in the modern-day country of Iran. And how long did the king have a feast to show off his kingdom? So it says for 104 score days... Uh, in the King James, which is 180 days, six months. Yeah, I had to go look that up in another version. <laughs> this was for his princes, his servants, his nobles. Think about it. That's, uh, that's six months. That's right. Six months. And how many days did the king extend his feast to those in his palace that were both great and small? So for seven days, Now I found this interesting. He parties for six months. And then the extension is seven days. And I'm like, you know, it reminds me of seven days to celebrate tabernacles. Yeah. Or even like, a, you know, the, the consummation of the marriage supper of the lamb and all that cool stuff. But yeah, I thought that was interesting. Seven days to celebrate tabernacles. Right. Um, why was the king mad at Queen Vashti? So it says here that she refused to come before the king. Now, I think that there's some background here, and I want to... I want to. Oh, yeah, we don't want to take it out of context. No, but I want to express some background here just real quick. So it, it, it's talking about how he's throwing this party, right? And that he has all of the princes with him, okay? And if you watch, like I said, some of the movies add their own little interpretations, like she's... One movie has her being defiant in protest to, you know, a coming war or a looming war. Other ones have it that she's being uh, defiant and not wanting to be with him. Yeah. But essentially, he has the men with him. And then it says here, right, uh, because it talks about the drinking and all that. It says, in accordance with the law, the drinking was not compulsory. For so the king had ordered all the officials of his household that they should do according to each man's pleasure. So everyone's there drinking and partying. That's right. Queen Vashti also made a feast for the women in the royal palace which belonged to King Ahasuerus. So you have the men over here having their right. party with, with King Xerxes, and you have the women over here having their party That's right. with Queen Vashti. Now, Two separate feasts. Now here's what happens, right? So she refuses to come before the king, and it says here, it says, um, after Queen Vashti made the feast, it says, On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mihuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abgatha, Zethar, and Carcass, seven eunuchs who served in the presence of the king, to bring Vashti before the king wearing her royal crown in order to show her beauty to the people and the officials, for she was beautiful to behold. Okay. So, I'm just imagining me and my wife. So let's say, in my dream, that I'm king. Yeah. Okay. And I've been throwing a party for six months. Yeah. Because I got so much money and so much power yeah. that I just figure 
Let's throw a six-month party. Let's just show it off. So then I extend it for seven days, right? And my wife, she's handling business, hosting all the wives and the women and whoever of these men that are here with me, right? Because right. they traveled together. Right. But then we split them up to party. Yeah, like the Western Wall. Right. So that there's not like, you know, whatever going on. Here I like, like the Western Wall. <laughs> the left, women to the right. Right. So, um, so then I say... Oh, I want my wife, because she's so beautiful, to come before me. So she's over here hosting all of these guys' wives. That's Keep in good mind. Point, right? Yeah. Okay. To come over and show herself off. Now, there's been some speculation that maybe that she's wearing just the crown is what he wants. We won't get into that. Well, that's what I'm saying, that there's some speculation, there's some controversial, right. inappropriate things going And exactly right. So, off his wife, yeah. so we're not going to get into exactly. Is that a trophy wife? Right. <laughs> but it doesn't say that. Right. right. It just says that he called her to come and show off her beauty. Right. Now, I imagine my wife's response to that being like, well, first off, I'm over here with all of their wives, so why are you calling me to come show myself off to their husbands? Right. Right. Second of all, I'm not going to—I'm over here with all these women, and when women get together, right, there's a lot of, like, the fathers get, like, ruffled up, and they get some pride, you know, and they stick together. And so she's like, oh, he's commanding you to do that? Oh, no, I can't believe he did that. Uh-uh. So I can imagine there's yeah, some of that culture. going on, you know. So she refuses to come for, I think, a myriad of reasons. Oh, absolutely. Justified we can, we can lobby for Vashti. or unjustified, right? Right. <clears throat> Needless to say, she was disobedient to her king. Was there a royal command that Queen Vashti will no more come before the king and to give her estate to another better than she? Yes, that's true. And it happened when he consulted with his seven princes. He said, what does the law say I'm supposed to do now? And then this is what they said, that she can't be queen anymore. He has to put out a decree. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. She you know? publicly embarrassed Yeah, him. a decree that the men run the house. Right. And the women have to listen. Well, okay. So it, it's interesting because um, it, it does say that, right? I that didn't the, the know comments, that. Yeah. The comments from the, the, from the princes was that, right. oh, the other women are going to now be disobedient to their husbands. But why do they say that? Because I think when you watch it again in, in movies, they don't really show that she's with all of their wives. So if she's being disobedient to him, now all these guys from all over the kingdom who traveled here, the last thing on the last day that happens is that she's disobedient. So now he has to set a precedent that the wives can't be disobedient to their husbands. You know, uh, yeah, we also got to keep in mind that there are those who refuse to come as the bride. Matthew chapter 22, verses 2 through 8, you can check that out. Uh, there are those who refuse to come as the bride. The invitation goes out. It's the wedding parable. You can check it out for yourself. Matthew chapter 22, verses 2 through 8. I'm going to turn it over to Ryan to go into Esther chapter 2. A new queen is sought. All right. So Vashti has been exiled, right? No longer to come before the king and no longer That's to it. be queen. So here's the question. Did the king's counselors tell him to select fair young virgins to be brought to the palace so he could select a new queen? Yes. Yeah. I think... Um, I think that what happened here was that he was kind of ho-hum, he was kind of glum, and his princes were like, all right, we got to cheer this guy up before he goes and gets Vashti back, you know? And so this coming up is going to be the first beauty pageant found in the Bible. Yeah. Now, here's the question I have. Is there a second beauty pageant found in the Bible? That's good. I don't know. I think it might be the only beauty pageant found in the Bible. This is true. (laughs) I'm just saying, I don't know that this is how... um, Christian men should behave, right? You know, when somebody leaves the table, somebody gets to come to the table. This is true. If you continue on, you're going to see that some more characters are going to come into the story now. Yeah. When somebody leaves the table, somebody gets to come to the table. Yeah. I like that. So uh, now in Shushan, the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shammai, the son of Kish. 
a Benjamite. So we're introducing a new character here in Esther chapter 2, and verse 5. He's in the palace. He is. And he's a scribe, right? Does it say that? I'm not really sure what he is, but, but he's definitely uh, in the palace. So he's yeah. got some kind of prominent position there. He does. He has some position. We don't know what that position is just yet. And so he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her uh, father and mother were dead, took to be his own daughter. Uh, and this is Esther chapter 2, verse 7 that I just read. Now, uncle's daughter, right? So this is her cousin, really. So they always make out Mordecai to be her, her uncle, right? But in, in reality, he might just be an older cousin. That's true. Yeah. That would be Yeah, it's an interesting typical. study. We had a whole debate over, like, what does it mean to be a first cousin once removed and second cousin? And right. We might have gotten off track yesterday with that a little bit. But it was a good conversation. Oh, yeah. We did some Googling, <coughs> asked Rabbi Schmoogle. And so here's a question for you. Did Hegai, who had custody of the maidens, show favor to Esther in her purification process? Esther had favor with Haggai. Yes. Yes. Keeper of the harem. So what is it you think, I mean, like, because we could speculate different reasons why she would have had favor with him, but what do you think was the reason that she had favor with him? I don't know. Why did Joseph have favor? Mm-hmm. I would say Egypt? because of the Holy Spirit. Because that's God. Good. That's what I would say. I would say because God had ordained the process that's happening now, and so he's... He can't change people's free will. He can move the hearts of the king. But he can plug little pieces in. He can definitely harden his heart. We saw that with Pharaoh. So did Mordecai tell Esther not to reveal her Jewish identity? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Don't tell him who you are. So uh, uh, this is a a, a little allusion to what happens in the future because we have some things like all of a sudden Haman decides, right, when later on in the story that he wants to like wipe out people. she wasn't a queen yet, so he was trying to protect her. But I think that the, the political environment was such to where the Jews were not highly favored right it was a, a group of people that were not could be a minority yeah a minority but like a back then minority it wasn't really good to be a minority now it's not so bad right right um so uh esther chapter 2 verse 17 says this and the king loved esther above all the women and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of vashti that's interesting you know um what comes to my mind is um, when you're thinking about this, uh, they were prepared. They had to go through a purifying process and everything. And um, I'm just looking over this. It actually talks about her finding favor in different things, not to make known her identity, but she finds favor. And uh, we know there's a number of people that had hidden identities. Uh, Abraham was, of course, from Ur, Chaldean. Yep. He became the first Hebrew. Yep. Moses was raised as an Egyptian. Come to find out he's a, he's a Hebrew. He's a Levite. Joseph was a Hebrew that served in Egypt under Pharaoh. So, you know, he was a, um, a Hebrew and, and was raised in, in the Egyptian court and everything. And also Ephraim is hidden throughout the world, but is coming out of the nations. Ephraim, all the different ethnic groups that are having Torah written on their minds and their hearts. So the hidden identity thing is very important. It's going to play out later. Of course, we know we have 12 months of preparation for all the women, uh, purifications and purifying. And we know that uh, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with spices and cosmetics. This is one Torah cycle, really, kind of like, you know, yeah, yeah, one absolutely. Torah cycle, one year. Yep. 
of preparation. And so um, that's uh, that's where we have that. Um, I love the fact that they go through a process before being presented to the king. Um, you know, I, I see that as like our sanctification process, because at some point we're going to be presented to the king, you know. And even in Revelation, it talks about the bride and that how she has made herself ready. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Read Esther 2.18. All right. Chapter 2, verse 18 it says, Then the king made a great feast, the feast of Esther, for all his officials and servants, and he proclaimed a holiday in the provinces and gave gifts according to the generosity of the king. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. So, you know, she becomes becomes the bride, you know, in Revelation 19, verses 7 through 9, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Boom. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Right blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Yep. So literally you're having like this fourth Passover is the kingdom Passover, you know? Ooh. So we're seeing this, and of course we know that um, in, in 18 it, it actually says that uh, the king made a great feast, and he called it even Esther's feast. It's yeah. almost like a holiday. Right. Esther's feast. The feast of Esther. For her, you know, to, to promote her and everything, you know? Um, and so, of course, we have references here of about, you know, uh, the bride preparing herself. Uh, in Psalm 62, 12, also unto thee, O Lord, belongeth mercy, for thou renderest to every man according to his work. Mm. Proverbs twenty four twelve. If thou sayest, Behold, we knew it not, doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And he that keepeth thy soul, doth not he know it? And shall not he render to every man according to his works? That's right. That's Psalms, Proverbs. What about Matthew sixteen twenty seven? The bride's prepared herself, made herself ready. Listen, Esther had to go through the harem, had, through Haggai, had to go through the purifying process for right. one year. So she had to apply herself. Yes. Matthew sixteen twenty seven, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Wow. That's some good stuff. So if you want to continue on. Yeah, absolutely. Because she was told not to reveal her identity That's before right. she became queen. Right, and, and she continued and to she hide continued, her identity. And go ahead and read that. So Esther continued to hide her Jewish identity as Mordecai had charged her. And you can find that in chapter 2 and verse 20. So even after becoming queen, she didn't reveal her identity. I think right. is the point here. wasn't time. Right. And so uh, did Mordecai expose a plot to Esther that the king's chamberlains, Big Than and Turish... Uh, Teresh were wroth and sought to harm to bring harm to the king. Yes, that's right. Mordecai stood up for the king and probably saved his life. That's right. And so then this um, was recorded right into the royal, what they call the royal the diary, book of the, chronicles. the chronicles. Right, the book of the chronicles. And so the two chamberlains were hung on a tree, and it was written in the book of the chronicles before the king. And that's a judgment. That's right. So we move on into Haman's promotion and hatred of Mordecai in Esther chapter 3. You know, here's another character. Yes, Look how this thing's developing. Yep. See? That's why there's all this turmoil in the earth today with Mm -hmm. the enemy. That's right. Because the bride is coming alive. That's right. She's preparing herself. Why did Haman become angry with Mordecai? Uh, Because he did not bow down and show him reverence. So Haman had a higher position, and it was... Interesting, yeah. He's in the palace. He's supposed to bow down. And Haman's coming in and out. He's he's like a dignitary or whatever. Uh, When Haman found out that Mordecai was Jewish, he planned to destroy him and all his people. Wow. That's that's some some serious uh, 
anger there. That's anti-Semitism. That's right. Just full-blown anti-Semitism. Now, this is what's interesting. This is something I learned is this. Haman, along with some others, cast Pur, or the lot, in the first month, or Nisan, from day to day and from month to month right. to the 12th month, that is the month Adar, Esther 3.7. So this is a conspiracy theory, a conspiracy right here. It was him, right. but it said they. That's right. Pur is lot, Purim is lot. So he's casting lots. He's using divination to come up with a day to kill him. That's right. I want to mention one thing because I don't think we have it in our notes. But it says, after, and this is chapter 3, verse 1. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes who were with him. So this is the reason that, that he was supposed to be bowing to him. But I also want to mention that Haman's identity is wrapped up in his forefather, Ag- Agag. And so we have the story of Saul right. not killing King Agag, right? right? And then Samuel kills Agag, but the, the mother had gotten away and she was Well, it pregnant. says you'll have war with Amalek. Right, well, ex- exactly right. So Agag from is a descendant of Amalek. Right. So, That's right. So we know the yeah. war against Amalek from generation to generation. Agag being the king that was slain by Saul, but the yeah. mother gets away. Right? Don't, don't forget, Agag was probably a title of the king of the Amalekites rather than the name of the individual Agag, uh, name of the individual. Now, Agag means flaming or warlike. We're going to keep that in yeah. mind as we move forward, flaming or warlike. But this is where Haman's hatred of the Jews comes from. He sees that they killed his forefather. It's taught. And that it was passed like today, down. The, among the, the Palestinians, right, teaching their children yeah, to, to exactly hate right. Israel. And, and exactly. They actually have uh, textbooks. Right. Uh, Amalek came... F- and fought against Israel in Rephidim. Amalek means warlike or dweller in the vale. The son of Eliphaz and grandson of Esau. That's right. Wow. Think about that. Now, this is where it's going to start to develop. Did Haman come to the king with a devised plan to destroy the Jewish people, and the king approved it? That's right. He sure did. He did. Haman accused the Jewish people of having diverse laws and not keeping the king's laws. We'll get into that in great detail, but we know that they are diverse among all of the people, the Jewish people, because they have what, Ryan? The Torah. They have the Torah. They have the Torah. It comes from the Hebrew root word, yara, to flow as water, to rain, to lay or throw, especially an arrow, to shoot, to point out as if by aiming the finger, to teach, direct, mm-hmm. instruct. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing here. Uh, in the Hebrew root word for Torah, is Yara. It's relevant for today. So on the 13th day of the first month, Nisan, a decree was given for a future date to kill all the Jews. Notice, this is the day before Passover. Mm -hmm. This is the day before Passover. They haven't come up with a day yet, but they're getting there. So what was the date given to commit a genocide against the Jewish people? So the 13th day of the 12th month, also known as the month of Adar, is the date given to destroy wow, all well, the Jews. Wow, the is really developing to be a cautionary tale, isn't it? Boy, isn't it. But the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city Shushan was perplexed. So it's interesting that the people around are like, whoa, what, what happened? What, you kill all the Jews? <laughs> they, were, they were perplexed by this because... The decree goes out to kill all the Jews, and now they're sitting down to feast, like, again? I know. The Jews had a year to think about this decree against them. It's a lot of time. <laughs> Some commentary was saying that, well, they, they, they couldn't flee because they would have been pursued. Ah, interesting. There could have been, like, a mass exodus. Right. And the Persians would have went after them. Yeah, well, and also, you know, a decree doesn't go out uh, as quickly 
as it would today, right? Now you just flip on the TV right. or you go on your news feed on, you know, the internet and you've got your right. news. But so was it like that? The story is developing, though. We have King Ahasuerus, Ahasuerus or whatever. We have, of course, uh, Mordecai, Esther. Yeah. You have his subjects in the palace. There's this conspiracy theory to kill him. Mordecai saves him. That's right. And all of a sudden, we've got Haman. Haman. Uh, the new prime minister here. Ooh. So let's continue on. In, in Esther uh, chapter 4, mourning among the Jews. That's right. So who was it that rent his clothes, put on sackcloth, and cried with a bitter cry when they found out about the decree to kill all the Jews? Uh, Mordecai. It was Mordecai. Now, um, it's funny. The word rent here, uh, I got this question last night, is to tear, right? That he wasn't renting his clothes like... Like you rent a tuxedo. Right. <laughs> but it came up. And you know what? The King James can be confusing. And the first time I saw it, I'm, I think I remember having to like, what? What does this mean, to rent? You know, I don't think I want to rent sackcloth. Yeah. And rent is the past tense version, which is why it's like that. Rend is to rend, is to rend something to tear it. Right. So when you rent it, it's you already did it. So, so this is going out to the people. So did Mordecai tell Hatach, the king's chamberlain, to tell Esther that she should go before the king to make supplication for her people? Yes. Yes, he did. Yes, he oh, did. Oh, yes. And so uh, this message is sent from Mordecai to Hatach. Now, what was the one thing that Esther needed in order to approach the king or else she would die? Hold out the golden scepter. She needed the king to hold out the golden scepter. So when hold she approaches un, unsolicited. Right. We talked about, like, she's in a waiting area, mm-hmm. and she's sitting there, and the king can look, and he can point the scepter. Because mm. it's like, if he sees her in that area, I was thinking, I'd, I'd have to look at the, 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 uh, the culture. Yeah. So if he just saw people in the waiting area, like, hoping to get the scepter, yeah. and you didn't get it. She would literally have to leave that area and come towards him. Yeah. And then he would have to. That's what I thought was kind of amazing. See how Esther in the movie, One Night with the King, she was in no waiting area. She just went for it. She just went for it. See. And so that was the interesting Busted thing. Busted the doors open. And they so. made it real dramatic and stuff. She came through the rain. She was soaking wet. It was know? really good. It was. Let's continue on. <laughs> All right. So what was the one thing that Esther did? Oh, the whole the golden scepter. All right. So chapter four, verses 13 and 14. This is the most powerful two verses. Well, and I'll tell you what it was last night when we read them. Um, it's just, this is it. It is. It There's is. no going back. I think those of us that know this story and do this every year, we can lose the the, the wonder, you know? Because this is pretty pretty intense right here, what so Mordecai just think says. One person knows what's going to happen. The second person has to act. Right. And then everybody else is affected. That's right. It's so, like bait to healer. All right, so here's these verses. Chapter 4 of Esther, verses 13 and 14. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? So the story is going to develop, and this is what came to my mind. A major crisis is causing Esther to reveal her identity to save her people. That's right. Now think about that, Ryan. A major crisis is causing Esther to reveal her identity to save her people. That's right. This is why Betahila mm. is saying, hey, we've got a horse in the race. Yep. We're part of Israel. We're grafted in. Right. We need to come to the aid of the Jewish people, the chosen people of God. 
we are grafted in wild branches. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the root. They're the natural branches. We need to do something. Yeah. Because it talks about, and we won't get into it, but when Ephraim and Judah come together, they push back the enemy. Yeah. It's so important that that happens. It is. There's more than one reference. If you go back and look for Ephraim and Judah together, you're going to see where they push back the enemy. Yeah. You know, I thought this statement was very interesting because it's a truth. I think that sometimes we feel like we can hide from doing the right thing or the thing that God has called us to do. But the reality is that God doesn't necessarily need us. He chooses us. And it's a privilege to be chosen for the purposes of God. And so what Mordecai is telling her, don't think that you can just hide in the palace. You're going to be found out as a Jew, and you will be destroyed. you'll be destroyed, too. But guess what? Deliverance will come to the Jews. It'll just come from another place. Yeah, if you don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. That's right. Yeah, and we want to be the people that do it. That's right. Amen. So for such a time as this, that's the famous line for the Purim story. Such a classic. It is. So who did Esther say would fast for three days without eat or drink? All the Jews in Shushan, <laughs> Esther and her maidens. That's right. So she calls for a fast. That whole community fast. So that she can fast and pray um, for three days in preparation to go before the king. And so was Esther willing to perish if the king did not hold out the scepter? Yes. That's right. Here in uh, chapter 4 and verse 16, it says, uh, Go gather all the Jews who, present, who are present in Shushan and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. It's another famous line from the story. It's all boom, just right there. You know what I mean? It's like a climax. It comes to a head. Boom. The climax of the story. Well, that is good. We're going to jump right into it. She's willing to be a martyr. She is. She's going before the king, knowing that she could be killed before it. So and listen, gonna, he already cast Vashti out. So like, yeah. we could say, oh, that's no big deal. He would have given it to her. You, like, we, we don't know. You don't want to guarantee you know, things. You could be right? having a bad hair day. Yeah. So we have in Esther chapter 5, uh, we have this banquet. Uh, what did Esther ask the king after he held out the scepter to her? Well, for the king and Haman to come to her banquet. So she, she invites them to a banquet. Now, just so you know, and I wrote this down now, she knows she needs the scepter. Yeah. You know, and she got it. Yes. He did give her the scepter. Now she's requesting Now, a, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, Genesis forty nine ten. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> I like that. I mean, if you kind of look at the, the, the play on cultures or ethnic groups. Sure. He's a Persian king. He's a Gentile. She's a Jew. Yeah. But also remember that, you know, Judah's the king, you know. Right. The line and, of David. Uh, yeah. And so that's that's what we can see there in that in that particular instance. She wants the king and Haman to come to her banquet. That's right. Now, while at the banquet, Esther asked the king and Haman to come to another banquet the next day. It's what a strange detail. She brings them to the banquet. It's still not the right time. So she says, all right, you know what? Come to another banquet. And she, she's got an idea. She knows what she's doing. She does know what she's doing. She's she smart, knows what he's smart doing. Smart lady. She definitely knows what she's doing. Um, we won't get into all that, but we'll talk about that maybe just a little bit later. But anyway, so uh, basically, uh, when Haman left the banquet, he was joyful and had a glad heart until he saw Mordecai in the king's gate, who did not stand up. He was full of indignation, anti-Semitism. Bum, bum, bum. When Haman came home, he sent for his friends and Zeres, his wife, to share how the king had promoted him. He also shared how the king had advanced him above the princes and servants of the king. Hey, I was at the feast, the banquet with Esther and the king. It was just him and I and her. Yeah. 
Haman was happy that Esther invited him along with the king to a second banquet, but he was displeased that Mordecai the Jew sat in the king's gate. Oh, hatred. Just pure hatred, you know. That Mordecai um, just messed up his mood, huh? That's uh, very interesting, you know. Um, and so here we have it. Uh, and then it says uh, in Esther chapter 5, verse 14. Then said Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends unto him, Let a gallows be made of fifty cubits high, and tomorrow speak thou unto the king that Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Then go thou in merrily with the king unto the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. Here's the conspiracy, right? Man, it's little... him. Well, Zeresh and his wife and his friends gave him an idea. Yeah. Hey. Why don't you make some gallows? Just put an end to this. Well, yeah, especially, you know, the king's going to want to, you know, honor you in your just, new position. Just, just put an end to this, you know. Yeah. Um, and by the way, I just I would like to just give some uh, just a few little cross references here. I didn't get to share it earlier. But what I would like to share is about the uh, when Haman wanted to give money towards the treasury, the king's treasury, Haman. Yeah. Now, he's not the king, but he's like a type of antichrist. Uh, and actually, it says right here, which is very interesting. Um, well, it says in Esther 3, 9, If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business yeah. to bring it into the king's treasuries. Think about the future Antichrist, Daniel eleven thirty eight. Right. But in his estate shall he honor the God of forces, and a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver and precious stones and pleasant things. Boy, there's some commerce there, right? Yeah. Now that's Daniel 11.38. Also in Daniel 11.43, But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. That's North Africa. You know, that's North Africa. Think about that. Libya's in civil war. Ethiopia's in a civil war. Yep. That area is very, very, very um, volatile. So I, I just wanted to bring that out uh, as we discuss that uh, because he's, he's going to make these gallows based upon some bad counsel. Oh, yeah. Because you reap what you sow. What you sow. That's right. So, Ryan, take it over with uh, Esther chapter 6, the king honors Mordecai. All right. So was there anything done for Mordecai that was found in the book of records of the Chronicles for protecting the king from Bigthan and Teresh, uh, the two king's chamberlains? There was nothing done for Mordecai from the book of records of the Chronicles. So it was recorded that he did this great act and saved the king's life, but nothing was recorded in the way of like some sort of a reward. And so when Haman was brought into the court, he wanted to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared, but the king wanted to ask Haman a question. So this is kind of a funny little, I mean, you can't make this stuff up, right? I mean, this is where the height of drama comes in. So Haman's on his way to say, hey, I want to hang Mordecai, and he wants to get permission from the king to do so, and he's already built the gallows in preparation, right? He knows it's a done deal. Right. So what was the question that king asked Haman before, you know, Haman could get his question out? Yeah, so here's the story it develops. Uh, you know, wow, Mordecai hasn't been rewarded. Uh, who's in the court? He's yeah. like looking for an elder or something. You know? <laughs> and it, oh, Haman, bring him to me. Yeah. He just, you know, yeah, you know, lifted him up, promoted him. Yep. So he looks at Haman and he's like, come here. What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor, Haman? Bum, bum, bum. What shall be done unto the man? So Haman, obviously, having a very high opinion of himself, 
in his heart thought that the king wanted to honor him. So what does he do? He says in verse 8 of chapter 6, Let the royal apparel be brought which the king uses to wear, and the horse that the king rides upon, and the crown royal which is set upon his head. The person would then be led through the city proclaiming, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. And when Haman was told to honor Mordecai, now remember, instead of himself, on behalf of the king, he did it and then went home mourning and having his head covered. You reap what you sow. So he went there to ask to, to see if he could get to hang Mordecai. That. And instead, he was ordered to lead Han- or Mordecai through the streets with a royal robe, proclaiming, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. I mean... You know, it, it comes to mind when <laughs> Jesus talks about sit in the back. Oh, yeah, yeah. And if, and if the person comes and gets you yeah, let and bring brings you, you up to, to the, the front, front yeah. it's better than having to go to the back. That's right. Because you thought you deserved the front. Correct. Mm. So what was said to Haman by his friends and Zeresh, his wife, when he came home with his story? And you're, on, you're just cruising over here. Yeah, baby. Oh, this is... <laughs> This is his friends in Zeresh who said, build the gallows. Yeah, right? right. Oh, build the gallows for Mordecai. That's right. If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews, before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shalt surely fall before him. What a foreshadow, right? I mean, this is like she's prophesying, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. Maybe, maybe you should chill out. Something's not going right here. No. You know. Not good. So, uh, all right, Esther's second banquet. You're up, chapter seven. Okay, this is so fun going back and forth. Oh yeah, I call this the marriage supper of the lamb because hmm, yep. you've already had the first banquet. That's like the the Passover, yep. the personal Passover, right? And then what do we have? Then we have the marriage supper of the lamb, tabernacles, the second banquet. And uh, what was Esther's petition to the king when he gave it to her at the second banquet? She said in uh, verses 3 and 4 of chapter 7, Then Esther the queen answered and said, If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For we, for if we are, if we are, uh, for, for we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be slain, and to perish. But if we had been sold for bondmen and bondwomen, I, I, I had held my tongue although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. Man. So basically, hey, listen, I wouldn't have bothered you if we would have just been sold as slaves. But since we're set up to be destroyed, genocide. Uh, I had to at least come to you. And so when the king asked who the enemy was, Esther declared Haman was the adversary. And so what was the final outcome to Haman? Well, so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai, then was the king's wrath pacified. That's right. Now, just a reminder, in Exodus chapter 22, verses 22 through 24, if you could read that, Ryan. Which is it? Look up Exodus 22, verses 22 through 24. It's in regards to the, uh, the orphans, the fatherless, the widows, that Haman uh, is now going to pay the price Exodus along with his sons. Exodus 22, 22 through 24? Yeah. Okay. All right. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way... 
and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath will become hot, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. You. So that that's a tough road. You know, I just got a thought, a download, as we're doing this together. Mm-hmm. And in, in my download is correct. It's This is what's really funny. Yeah. Now, we talked about the second banquet. There's a second banquet, right? But what does it say right here in, in, in Revelation 19.9? And he saith unto me, right, blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Okay? Yep. So the dinner's going down. Oh, yeah. But I noticed there's a righteous judge <laughs> in Ooh. Revelation. Yeah. And I saw heaven in verse 11 of 19. Because remember, they, they, they hung Haman. Yeah. They committed a judgment. Right. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations." And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, To all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them, that he had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Mm. So after the second banquet of Esther, Haman is hung. Mm. Judgment's executed. Mirror supper of the lamb, boom, this goes down. And then judgment. And then, of course, you know, we know the kingdom is going to be given to Mordecai. Yes. So what's interesting is it talks about in chapter 20, the millennial kingdom. Boom. Look at that. New chapter. Look at that. That is amazing. It is. So Esther's request. Uh, was the king able to renounce the decree to kill all the Jews? He could not do that. No, and he I think there's declared. several reasons for this. One is they could have a legal reason that right. once a decree goes out. But the second one would could be that, like, again, there's 127 provinces. The cat's out of the bag. The decree's been sent. We're not going to make it in time. So we need to send a new decree that they can defend themselves, right? And so did the king declare another decree that the Jews could defend themselves and fight back against their enemies? Yes. Yes. And so the second decree was given in the third month of Sivan on the 23rd day. That's an Esther 8, 9. That's hope. Right. And uh, in chapter 8, verse 17, it says, Many of the people of the land became Jews, for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. So this got flipped on its head, right? All of a sudden... Uh, those that were to be destroyed become the ones that are feared rather than being the fearful. And so uh, chapter 9, the Jews destroy their enemies. 
Man, you just had a little part there, huh? Mm -hmm. I did. Did the Jews overcome their enemies when they were attacked in the month of Adar on the 13th day? They sure did. They sure did. They just think the thirteenth of Adar is tomorrow night. Yeah, I think you had I to be just feel it at this point, knowing like what happened. You got to be real dumb to try to like imagine the day before you're preparing for be this. the ones. Yeah, you're just preparing for this. You're like it's going down. Yeah, we're gonna defend ourselves. I'd be like, I wish somebody would. <laughs> <laughs> but notice they, they go on the offense. They get, they have to do something. What was Esther's request to the king in regard to Haman's ten sons? That they all be hanged on the gallows. Now this sounds harsh, but if you think about it. Uh, the reason that this is a problem to begin with is because they didn't kill the queen when they killed Agag, the king. So, But the Jews that were at Shushan assembled together on the 13th day thereof, and on the 14th thereof, and on the 15th day of the same, they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Mm -hmm. That was the actual time period that they did that. So and what they had meant for evil, God turned for that's good. That's it. The Jews of the villages that dwelt in the unwalled towns made the 14th day of the month Adar a day of gladness and feasting. So people were kind of doing something, you know. Yeah. I don't know. If, does it even say that not one Jew was lost or something? I, I, I got to go back and look at the story. Mm, I mean, I, you know what? Let's ask Rabbi Shmugel real quick. How about that? Uh, Rabbi Shmugel. <laughs> I do believe it, it says not one Jew was killed. Right. And I think so, too. I'm not positive, but I, I think there is something along those lines. Hmm. Oh, you know what? Um, so it doesn't say, uh, I don't know. It's all right. But anyway. Uh, it's all in chapter 9. It says that the, the Jews had ended up, the people that tried to fight them, they ended up slaughtering 75,000 of them, right? That's what I remember. So Shushan gathered together again on the 14th day of the month of Adar and killed 300 men at Shushan, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. And the remainder of the Jews, the king's provinces, gathered together and protected their lives and the rest of their enemies and killed 75,000 of their enemies, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. Yeah, we'll have to check that out. Just a little Because little they had the right to take their, little their, their goods, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. So we have the... Uh the Jews in Shushan did 13th, 14th, and 15th day of partying. Right. They, they, hey, we did this, you know. Mm -hmm. So they had a great victory. So that day they had a victory. Hey, 14th and 15th. Let's continue on in Shushan. Mm -hmm. uh, the Jews of the villages just did the 14th day. Mm, okay. So there's no confusion here what was happening at that time. Now there's a decree. And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters unto all the Jews that were in all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus, both nigh and far, to establish this among them, that they should keep the 14th day of the month Adar and the 15th day of the same yearly. So a new feast has been commanded by Mordecai. 13th, 14th, and 15th, just like they did in the Shushan. I love thing, it. Uh, basically. Uh, the 14th and 15th day in the month of Adar should be a time of feasting, joy, sending portions to one another, and gifts to the poor. I like it. These days were to be called Purim or Lots. The name of Pur is Lot. Right. So before we, uh, yeah, go ahead. We'll, we'll just finish out with uh, Mordecai's greatness and Esther, yep. chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 3. For verse Mordecai three. the Jew uh, was next unto King Ahasuerus and great among the Jews and accepted of the multitude of his brethren, seeking the wealth of his people and speaking peace to all his seed. Very interesting. And so Mordecai is a, is a great Jewish hero. I mean, you, you think about it, and what Mordecai did by raising up Esther, teaching her, and then convincing her, and then what Esther did in her role 
I mean, the two of them saved an entire people. You know, they say like um, if you look at the four types of people found in the story, the King Ahasuerus represents the heavenly king. Right. God. Okay. And Mordecai represents the Holy Spirit. Right. And, of course, uh, Esther Hadassah represents the bride. And Haman? Represents Hasatan or the devil. Yeah, the devil. Going back to a, uh, a president of Iran some years ago dealing with threats and, and a genocide, and, and, and these are actually quotes from Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. Mahmoud Ahmadinejad is a modern-day Haman. He was. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He was elected president of Iran in 2005. I know this is going back a little ways, but... He was born October the 28th, 1956, in Aradan, Iran. Now, here are some of his quotes. Sounds like Haman. Listen to this. Today, they, Europeans, have created a myth in the name of Holocaust and consider it to be above God, religion, and the prophets. Mm. 14th of December, 2005. Now, he says this. Here's another quote. Anybody who recognizes Israel will burn in the fire of the Islamic nation's fury. Now, let's go back to Agag. Haman was an Agagite, Esther 3.1. Agag means flaming or warlike. Mm. Wow, mm-hmm. what's in his DNA? Yeah. This flame, this war, this fire. Here's another quote. There is no doubt that the new wave of attacks in Palestine will wipe off this stigma, Israel, from the face of the Islamic world, mm-hmm. the world without Zionism. Mm. Here's the last quote from Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. As the imam said, Israel must be wiped off the map. So my last quote is from Shimon Peres. Mm. Yes, it was a dignitary um, Uh, government leader in Israel. I believe he was prime minister at some time. Mm -hmm. This is what he says. The president of Iran should remember that Iran can also be wiped off the map. Mic drop. So here we have wars and rumors of wars. We've got Russia and Ukraine. And by the way, the president of Ukraine is a Jew. Yes. So very, very interesting things playing out. You know, they're there's a lot of uh, conspiracy theories out there. But the bottom line is that there's wars and rumors of wars. And, of course, we know that, um, you know, Iran has threatened Israel. And uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who went before the United Nations, made it very clear that these are threats that are true and right. Yeah. They've, uh, they were actually able to go in there and confiscate actual documents of developing nuclear weapons. Yeah. I mean— it's terrible. They literally, um, you know, literally have documented proof. I mean, imagine the Mossad going in there and getting these documents. Yeah. But see, nothing was really done. That's why I admire uh, Winston Churchill. He warned Britain of Germany. Yeah. He knew it. He warned them. You know, and that's why, you know, we're, we're living in a time where the, the assimilation is so bad how can you tell the difference of anybody or anything right. right now? It is. How can we tell the difference? You know, so I love the story of Esther because she had her identity was hidden. And then in a crisis, she revealed it. Yeah. And I believe that we are to reveal our identity. Amen. To the church, to the Jews, to everybody. Amen. And who we are and who he is, that we should stand and, and, and take the right action. Amen. Because most pastors and churches are ignorant about the chosen people, and that God's made promises to the Jewish people that he's not going to break. He's going to keep those promises. That's right. 
So that, that's really all and I And even have. the ones that do have some revelation have a half revelation where they talk out of both sides of their mouth, right? It's, it's oh, they're the chosen people, but then, like, the ideology they have is still replacement theology. So it's like, well, which is it? <laughs> I, I think another thing, too, that the Lord's really put on my heart, if you have, like, you want to talk about two things out of this particular story, <laughs> is the one about the hidden identity being revealed. And number two, we, we talk about the Lord's really put it on my heart, and he's developing it in me in a more permanent basis, but... It says that we will rule and reign with Christ. That's right. But what the Lord was showing me is that I need you now. Yeah. You need to rule and reign with me now. Right. Don't wait for the big pie in the sky. Yeah. Big by and by. I mean, sit on your blessed assurance. We need to rule and reign right now. Right. And there's two schools of thought about prophecy in general. And uh, one of them is that these are events in the future that God is going to do, right? And then others see it as an instruction manual of things that we can do now for the Lord. We can do a lot. So why don't you pray us out? Father, we just thank you for Purim. We thank you for this holiday that, that commemorates the beginning of a, even the, the biblical calendar, Father, as we go into the new spring feasts and the new feast cycle, Father. We know that uh, Purim is a memorial. It's a memory of something that had happened and that we are just going to move forward in this area. And we just lift up the Jewish people to you, Father. We thank you for their protection. We thank you for their safety, their provision. We thank you for this trip to Israel for Shavuot, Father. We pray that you'll bring in who needs to go and that you'll let us hold down the uh, Beit Hila Command Headquarters here. Father, we just pray blessings over everyone who's listening to this or watching this, that they have something at stake here. They have a horse in the race and that God... You will direct them because this test of righteous man or woman is ordered of you. So, Father, we thank you for all that you're doing. I speak blessings over the Cabrera family and uh, and the Plummer family, Father, as we move forward and the great things that you have for us and the exciting things that we're having for us, Father. And we just ask all of this in the name of Yeshua of Nazareth. Amen. Amen, Father. Wow, thank you. Well, you've now heard it here, the story of Purim, an awesome, awesome story that should be celebrated even by Christians today. Um, and by Jews, obviously, are already celebrating awesome story. it. So it is, and you know what? We wouldn't have uh, we wouldn't have the Bible, we wouldn't have Yeshua if we didn't have the story of Purim. So we should be very thankful for that. So, bless you guys. Have a great week. Shalom. Shalom.